One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whom, whose woman you have been worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he'll be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I'm your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than which you showed earlier. You have not run after the young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do all you ask. All the people of my town know that you're a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I'm a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognised, and he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. And when she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until this matter is settled today. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there, just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the city and said, Sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. 
Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to another. This was the method of legalising transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have brought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Marlon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Marlon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathra and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Right, well, uh, good morning, everyone. I'm Nick Motalissa, and uh, I work with uh, uni students here particularly and down at Adelaide Uni, and uh, we've just come back from holiday, so it's lovely to be back uh, in the warmer weather, and I'm glad that it's not too warm this morning. That's good. Um, how, would I, how would I pray, and then we're going to have a look at Ruth 3 and the start of 4. Let's pray. Our Father, we want to thank you so much uh, for your word, that you are a God who has not stayed silent, but who speaks to us. God who uh, reveals what you are like and your great character and your great promises. And we pray that as we read some of those promises in this story this morning, that we might know you better and trust you more. Uh, We might put our hopes in your son, Jesus, in his name. Amen. Well, um, about six years ago, uh, I spent some time in Spain visiting some missionary friends. And uh, when I was booking the flight over there, I thought it'd be good uh, to arrive at about eight o'clock in the morning. Uh, As I did that, I forgot a key detail that it was going to be summer in Australia at that time of year, but winter in uh, in Madrid, and at 8 o'clock in the morning, it was still very dark and very cold, Uh, and I didn't realise shops in Spain, because it's so dark and cold, they don't actually open until about 11 o'clock. So I got off the plane in my shorts and thongs, and had my big suitcase there, and uh, I caught a bus out to the suburb where I was staying, but very quickly realised that I was in a bit of trouble. Uh, my feet, my toes were getting cold in the thongs, and uh, I thought, I've got to find a cafe to, uh, you know, to kind of wait at until things open, but of course no cafes were open because no one was awake yet, uh, and so I, I've got to look on my phone to find a cafe, but I didn't have any internet because the general store to buy a SIM card wasn't open either. And uh, to top it all off, I really needed to go to the bathroom. Uh, and, and actually in Spain, they don't have a lot of public bathrooms. So uh, I wandered around this suburb for about 45 minutes and uh, eventually found, without Google, a cafe that was open. And um, I went in, and the low point was that I tried to use the toilet and it wouldn't flush. And so uh, I had to explain to the owner, I didn't know the word for flush, so I said, the toilet's not working. And he said, what do you mean it's not working? I said, you know, it's, it's not working. <laughs> and uh, we figured it out. But... I just remember feeling, uh, as, you know, as an outsider in this, uh, this new city, feeling uh, vulnerable, feeling a little bit helpless. I wonder if you've uh, ever had a feeling of, of helplessness. Now, obviously, that's, that's a trivial example, but uh, as we've been looking at this story of Ruth over the last few weeks, 
we've met some women who are in a much more significant way are helpless. Uh, we met Ruth and, and Naomi, and in the story so far, they've, they've come back to their hometown, or uh, Naomi's hometown of Bethlehem, and they're in some pretty tragic circumstances. Uh, both their husbands are dead, they have no children, they have no future. Ruth is an outsider from Moab. They're helpless. And I want to, I guess, flag that issue of helplessness uh, right up front, because I think that idea of helplessness has a lot to do with what this passage says to us as people living a long time after this story. Uh, In the bigger story of the Bible, uh, it's not just Ruth and Naomi who are helpless. We're going to see as we read this story and kind of consider how some of the themes go through the, the rest of the Bible story, that we as well as human beings are people who are helpless and captive to something called sin. And actually what Boaz does for Ruth points us forward to what God does for us as helpless people uh, in Jesus Christ. And the question I, I guess I want us to keep in our, our minds as we read through this story is, well, how does this, uh, this kind of image of helplessness and redemption in this story, how does that point us forward to uh, what God does for us in Jesus? Now, one of the other things that we want to have in the back of our mind as we go through this story is is we want to understand Boaz's role as a kinsman or guardian redeemer for Ruth. That's that's one of the ideas in this passage that's probably unfamiliar to us. Uh, And so Boaz is described at a number of points as a a kinsman or guardian redeemer. And uh, that person is a family member who's obliged to intervene to rescue other family members in strife. Now, we don't really have kinsmen redeemers in Australia. We have the Bank of Mum and Dad, which is a little bit similar. Um, but I guess at a, at a big level, the way that we do it is through a, a kind of a whole society system designed to help people in social or financial hardship. And the way we do it in Australia, we have uh, particularly Centrelink. Centrelink's a safety net, and everyone in the society chips in uh, through tax to fund this way of caring for people uh, whether, you know, whether it's working well or not, uh, that's kind of the way we do it. We chip in together to help people uh, who are in financial or social need. Now, uh, in Old Testament Israel, the, the safety net wasn't the whole of society chipping into Centrelink. Uh, it was the job of the tribe and the family because God had made them as one big family, having his promises in Abraham. And so kinsmen redeemers had a lot of jobs. They, uh, they did things like go to court when a family member was in trouble. Uh, They restored family members who'd sold themselves into forced labour. And uh, I guess relevant for this passage is that uh, sometimes they would purchase property that a family member uh, had sold or mortgaged to pay uh, for a tricky situation. And so you see that uh, in that passage on your handout from Leviticus. Uh, If one of your fellow Israelites becomes poor and sells some of their property, their nearest relative is to come and redeem what they've sold. So that's the kinsman redeemer's job. Now, uh, by Ruth's day, uh, the role seems to have expanded a little bit, and kinsmen redeemers were also responsible for marrowing, uh, marrying, not marrowing, marrying widows within a family. Um, and, and the idea here is, again, for the, it's kind of the protection of the family, uh, and it keeps the family name going. Uh, that, that dead person has a, a particular um, kind of name in the family, and this is a, a family of promise, and so you want to keep, um, if someone's been part of that family, you want to recognise them as part of that family of promise. And so you see there the, uh, the second passage on the handout from Deuteronomy. 
If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. And the first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. Now, of course, that's, uh, it's very foreign to us, uh, and yet uh, this is kind of God's system for his people in the Old Testament as to how to care for those who are in need. And uh, what we see is that Boaz uh, potentially has this kind of obligation in the story towards Ruth, or particularly towards Naomi, and uh, because Ruth tied herself to Naomi, perhaps also to Ruth. You remember, Ruth's not actually in the family, technically, she's a Moabite, uh, but she's, uh, she's tied herself to Naomi, so we'll have to see how that plays out. All right, we're going to uh, jump into the story at this point, so uh, come with me to chapter 3, verse 1, it'd be great if you have your Bible open. Uh, and we're up to the heading, Naomi's Dicey Plan. Now, uh, Naomi sums up the situation here quite well of helplessness. Uh, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you'll be well provided for. And the implication, of course, is that she doesn't have one. Uh, so I think Naomi here, she's, she's more than a mother-in-law trying to get her daughter into the property market. Uh, it's, it's not just about a home as a building. Uh, really, Ruth needs, she needs a future, she needs income, she needs food, uh, she needs a family, she needs children. These are kind of the ways that she will be provided for. And neither her nor Naomi have those things. She needs a home. And we find out in, in verse 2 that Naomi has a, an opportunity for Ruth to find a home. Uh, she says it's, it's harvest season and Boaz's team have been working into the night and they've been separating the, the grain that they've har- harvested from its husks. Now, I've never done this personally, but apparently the husks need to be separated from the grain. And they've been doing it on a, a, a hard surface called the threshing floor uh, into the night. And so Naomi's got this plan uh, that involves Boaz being out there into the night and sleeping uh, on site. Now, I think uh, Naomi's plan is interesting because it's kind of shady. Uh, have a look at verse 2 to 4. I wonder what you think that, um, that Naomi is saying here to Ruth. What she tells her to do is, is to get dressed up so that she looks and smells really nice and she's to go down into the dark to where Boaz is and, and uh, wait till he's uh, kind of had a bit to drink and eat and he's, he's kind of happy and, and don't tell him he's there, wait till he goes to sleep and then lay down at his feet and wait for him to say what to do. I think at this point in the story, you're kind of going, what's, what's Naomi's plan here? What's she thinking? I think the best, the best case reading for Naomi is that uh, she's, she's hoping that for a private conversation, um, you know, that maybe they haven't been out of chat out in the field during the day, and she's hoping that if Ruth can go in the night and kind of corner Boaz, uh, that he'll get, his, uh, get a wriggle on with the whole kinsman redemption kind of thing. Uh, she's hoping for a, a conversation. I think the worst case, uh, there's actually another story in the Bible about Moabite women, uh, specifically the, the daughters of a guy called Lot, who is Ruth's ancestor. And uh, this would have been familiar to the first readers of Ruth. And uh, these, these women, after they lose their husbands and don't have children, uh, they get their father really drunk and each sleep with him over a couple of nights and by that fall pregnant uh, and have descendants. It's a pretty, um, pretty messy story. And, 
And knowing that, that story, in, uh, as the original readers would, perhaps that is the kind of thing that Naomi's got in mind here, that Ruth might fall pregnant by Boaz uh, and then perhaps have an heir or perhaps force his hand into marriage through a pregnancy. Now, of course, we're not actually told about uh, Naomi's intentions, but whatever they are, it's, it's high stakes. Right? What if someone spotted Ruth? What if Boaz takes advantage of Ruth? What if Boaz um, shames her and says, you know, you can't work for me anymore. She loses her income because of this, um, this proposition. Right? So Naomi and Ruth, they're helpless, and Naomi's got a plan to find a home by any means necessary. Right, so uh, we're up to verse 5, the heading, Ruth goes off script. Now, initially, uh, Ruth agrees to the plan. She says, I'll do whatever you say. And, uh, and the writer tells us that Ruth goes to the threshing floor, as, as they've discussed, uh, and she does what Naomi's said. And uh, Boaz is there, and he eats and drinks according to plan. And after he's in a good mood, he goes down and he sleeps at the far end of the grain pile. And Ruth does uh, what Naomi suggested. She goes and uncovers his feet. And uh, perhaps, perhaps that's so that he would get cold feet, not, um, not kind of metaphorically, literally, and that he'd, um, you know, he'd wake up in the middle of the night because his feet are chilly. And, and that happens. At some point during the night, uh, Ruth is lying there and, and Boaz wakes up and realises there's this woman at his feet. Now, I don't know if you've ever had someone uh, try and enter your house while you're sleeping. Uh, it's, it's not a particularly nice feeling. And uh, Boaz, I think, is, is quite surprised to find Ruth near his feet. And he doesn't know who it is. He just finds this lady sleeping there. He says, who are you? It's fair enough. And uh, this is Ruth's moment to shine. She says, it's your servant, Ruth. And importantly, she goes off script. Uh, Naomi said, he'll tell you what to do. But she says... Spread the corner of your garment over me because you're our kinsman redeemer. Um, what, is, what is she asking here? It's a little bit cryptic. It's interesting she mentions the corner of the garment. I think she's not saying kind of put your blanket over both of us, I sleep with me. Um, but she is proposing. And we know that from the way that Boaz responds in, in the following chapter. He treats it as a marriage proposal. And so Ruth's plan here is diverging from perhaps what Naomi intended. Ruth lays her intentions pretty, pretty bare and she says, will you act as our kinsman redeemer, as you are, and care for us in our helplessness through, uh, through marriage? It's important though how she, she, she does it, right? Naomi uh, perhaps wanted her to, to push her way into that situation of, of redemption but Ruth comes and kind of lays her cards out on the table and just asks for help. Spread the corner of your garment over me because you're our kinsman redeemer. It's, a, it's quite a lovely expression of Ruth realising her own need. She's, she's out uh, needing shelter, needing a home. And she says, will you just spread the corner, just the corner of your garment over me. Right, uh, Boaz is willing to redeem. There's a sense here that uh, in this moment, Ruth is quite vulnerable, isn't she? She hasn't got a lot to offer. She's, she's, you know, she's shown her hand. It's pretty empty. And we wonder, what's Boaz going to do? Is he going to turn her away? And uh, we, we breathe a sigh of relief when we get to verse 10 because Boaz is a, 
a yes, mostly a yes, uh, to Ruth's proposal. And uh, Boaz, in, in the way that he responds, I think really goes a long way to covering and to sheltering and protecting Ruth and, and acting for her good. And you see that in the way he responds. He's not there thinking, wow, there's this, um, you know, this uh, lady lying at my feet, what am I going to do? He's, he's delighted in her and he's warm and he's, um, he, he's thankful that she's treated him properly and he's thankful that she's living rightly under God's law and she wants to do that rather than chasing after richer or younger, younger blokes. Um, just as an aside here, I think there's a little insight for us as we think about marriage as, as Christians, who are Christians supposed to marry? And again and again in the Bible, and this is a, a little window into it, uh, we see it's a lot about character. You want to marry someone who loves and fears the Lord. That's more important than looks or age or wealth. Back to Boaz, though. The, uh, the clearest insight, I think, into Boaz's commitment to sheltering Ruth is the way that he slows things down. I think it would have been easy in that, that moment of excitement and, um, you know, Ruth's kind of offering marriage. Uh, it would have been easy to make big promises or perhaps even to sleep together. And yet, Boaz says, no, there's, there's actually another guy. Um, not in a romantic sense, there's another guy who's a kinsman redeemer. And that perhaps explains why Boaz hasn't acted to this point. And Boaz says, we've, we've got to talk to him first. And yet, even, even as he gives that bad news, Boaz is kind of looking after Ruth, isn't he? He makes sure that something's going to happen. He, they'll find a kinsman redeemer, whether it's him or the other guy. And uh, he's concerned for her reputation and her safety. He doesn't kick her out and say, off you go. It's the middle of the night. Find your way back to town. Um, no, he waits till the morning and loads her up uh, with, with, um, with barley as well. So at this moment in the story, Naomi's had this sketchy plan and yet through the integrity of Ruth and of Boaz, uh, it's worked. It's worked out. Ruth has come to this kinsman redeemer just as she came to God and, and he's going to care for her. At this point, uh, uh, Ruth head home and she's going to give Naomi the news and Boaz goes off to the town gate in chapter 4 verse 1. And uh, I guess the town gate's a little bit like the corner of King William and North Terrace um, when, you know, I guess everyone's driving slowly when you get to that point for the traffic lights and you kind of sometimes see your friends and you can wave. Uh, it's a bit like that. You know, the town gate's the point where everyone goes through on their way to work. And, uh, and of course, Boaz is likely to meet this relative there. And so you imagine, you know, the morning hubbub, everyone's off to the fields uh, for harvest and along comes this nameless man. And Boaz says, why don't you sit down for a friendly chat and here's some, here's some people that I'll gather around as witnesses and they can officiate. We're not going to spend a lot of time here, but really the key is uh, that Boaz, in his interaction with this man, plays on the fact that the other potential redeemer is, is eager to redeem the land, but he's unable to redeem Ruth. He's eager, but unable so it seems this, uh, this other man was already married and, and probably had children. He's got an estate, verse 6. And so uh, while the land on its own, you see, is an attractive deal for him, he says, yes, I will redeem the land. Uh, when Ruth is introduced into the picture, uh, we find out that would disrupt his family. Uh, probably that marriage would produce an heir who would then in turn inherit the land in time. And so uh, it was a costly redemption. Uh, it would disrupt his own family. And so this redeemer says, I, I can't pay the price. He says, I cannot redeem it. I, it might endanger my own estate. You redeem it. I cannot. 
And so this, uh, I guess this is the moment of celebration in the story, and we'll come back to this in more detail next week, but we know that Boaz is not just willing, Boaz is able to redeem as well. And so verse 9, it all happens very quickly. Boaz announces the redemption of both uh, Ruth and the land in the presence of witnesses. They do some funky stuff with their sandals, and it's all official. Uh, They're they're kind of married. (laughs) Well, they are married. And it's uh, it's wonderful, isn't it? At this moment uh, in this ceremony, Naomi and Ruth, no family, no future, have have come to shelter. They've come... uh, to, to Boaz's protection and care, and, uh, and God's provided all of that for them. At this point, uh, it's, it's right to start to ask, well, what does all that kind of mean for us? And it might seem a bit strange. Uh, how does this story from so long ago, from such a different culture, how does that uh, teach us? And I think before we quite get to that question, we actually need to think about what it was saying to the people who first heard it, uh, and that's going to help us to understand it better as well and to, to live in light of this passage. So at the, the point, what was God saying to Old Testament Israel? Uh, I think the most uh, obvious application, if you were a, a Jew living in uh, the time that you were first uh, hearing Ruth read to you, what's it all about? I think it's commending faithful living under God's law. Uh, yeah, Ruth and Boaz, they're, they're upright characters, and they experience great blessing as they pursue life within the system of kinsman redemption that God's given them. They could have gone about, uh, you know, solving Ruth and Naomi's problems through other methods, perhaps those suggested by Naomi. And yet as, as Ruth comes to, first of all, she clings to Naomi and clings to her God and then pursues uh, protection through the, the, the means that God has provided, um, she receives great blessing. Uh, she receives Boaz and, and eventually a child. And, uh, and this idea that faithfulness leads to blessing is really at the heart of the Old Testament relationship between God and, and Israel. Uh, we see again and again that if, if Israel treats God as the one true God, if they obey His commandments, He will give them life, blessing, and, and rest. They're going to experience this great, joyous life in His land. And uh, what's really surprising about Ruth is it's set in a time of famine, uh, Famine is not really what you expect of God's people living under God's rule and provision in his land. And that suggests something's wrong. Uh, and I guess the, Bernie would have talked a little bit about the, the judges in the last few weeks. Uh, Israel's life under the judges was chaotic and disobedient and messy and sinful. And that's probably why there was a famine. And I think that that's, uh, kind of helps us understand what this book is about. I think it's saying that even if the whole nation is going astray, if one individual, even a foreigner, comes to the Lord for shelter, protection, and lives under his law, then they're going to be blessed. The the great tragedy of the Bible story is that actually there's there's very few figures like Ruth and Boaz who are faithful. Um, It's a story of faithlessness, not of faithfulness. And most of the time, just like in the Judges, uh, Israel do what they want when they want. And that actually, I think, points us to what this story means for us. Uh, at, uh, what is God saying to us? As, as the story of the, the Bible unfolds, uh, we actually see this image of a kinsman redeemer further developed. And God takes this, this picture of, uh, of um, caring for a vulnerable person um, through a cost, bringing them into the family, and, and he applies it to himself. I've included three examples of this um, in Isaiah in the leaflet, 
And uh, you'll see them here. And you see God, God's taking on this persona of the kinsman redeemer for himself. He's the kinsman redeemer of faithless, helpless Israel. And he does that through forgiveness. So these verses, are Isaiah 43. But now this is what the Lord says, He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Isaiah 44, I've swept away your offences like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. I think the next one's the clearest. Uh, your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The, the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He's called the God of all the earth. Uh, I think what we see in these verses is that as Boaz is to faithful Ruth, so God is to faithless Israel. He pays the price to redeem them from their faithlessness and its consequences, and he wants to be their husband. Uh, he wants to delight in them and have this wonderful family relationship. Yet we don't actually see that happen in the Old Testament. It's not until we get to Jesus that things start to, to clarify. Um, in the New Testament, Jesus is described as the one who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Uh, ransom's very similar to redemption. It's a, it's a price paid to win someone from captivity. And, and while Boaz redeemed Ruth from this uh, socioeconomic hardship and destitution, Jesus gave himself to redeem not just one person, but uh, all who believe in him from destitution. And it's not a, a socioeconomic destitution. Uh, it's, it's such a bad, their destitution of faithlessness. It's their bondage to living their own way, their, their bondage to this problem of sin. And he does that so that they can become his family. Have a look at um, Galatians 4, 4 to 5. We actually we read this at Christmas, and so I thought it'd be good to come back to it. It says, When the time, set time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Friends, I think in the story of Ruth and Boaz, God is pointing us forward to a much greater moment of redemption. That moment when he would send his son and give his son to buy us out of our slavery to sin and to make us part of his family. God is our great kinsman redeemer and he does that for us through Jesus. What Boaz is to Ruth, God is to us. I want to finish then uh, just with two brief reflections on, well, what does that all mean? How does that all kind of, how does the rubber hit the road for us in terms of this story? What does Boaz and Ruth show us about God and us? Now, I think um, the first thing to say is that I reckon Ruth helps us understand what it looks like to come to God as a redeemer. Uh, I wonder if, when, when you think about you and God, uh, do you think of yourself as someone helpless approaching someone who can help? Uh, I think it's, it's easy for, for many of us, and I, certainly I do this, to think that you know, God basically likes us and uh, he probably sent Jesus just to resolve a few minor hiccups in the relationship. And we're basically good people because we haven't killed anyone and we haven't stolen too much stuff. You know, we think of ourselves as basically good uh, people and, and, and maybe we stuff up occasionally because of pressure um, or difficult situations. I think one of the ways that uh, we, uh, we kind of believe ourselves not to be helpless, particularly if we're people who are Christians from a, a Christian heritage, is to kind of fall back on that Christian heritage and think uh, that that's the thing 
that uh, kind of defines our relationship with God. Uh, one of the things that was a little bit sad for me on campus this year was asking a number of students, oh, how, did, how did you become a Christian? And, uh, and a number of times I heard the response, well, my parents are Christians. And that was, that was kind of it. And, and actually, um, that's, not quite, that's not quite how you become a Christian. Uh, you, you become a Christian as God's Spirit turns your heart from darkness to trust and follow His Son, who's the King of everything. And, uh, and hopefully your parents uh, might play a part in that story. And that's what good Christians, uh, good Christian family will do. But you're not a Christian because of your genetics, uh, in the same way that you're not a Christian because of the, the church that you go to. Uh, your church is Christian to the extent that it, uh, it trusts and follows Jesus as Lord and Saviour. Like Ruth, uh, we are destitute, right, before God. We're we're futureless outsiders, and we need to come to God saying, will you please spread the, the corner of your garment over us? And friends, the great comfort of Ruth is, uh, if you feel that strongly, um, we have a Redeemer who's not like that nameless relative of, of Ruth. The relative was, uh, he is too scared of what the redemption might cost him and his family to be able to welcome Ruth. Imagine if God had been like that. Uh, you know, he's, he's got his uh, kind of the, the Trinity in heaven and they're there, the Father, Son and the Spirit, and they say, oh, it, it'd be kind of awkward if we invited someone else in. It might cost us too much to invite those human beings into our family. You know, I'm just imagining that. That wasn't a conversation, that, of course, that happened. Um, but imagine if God was scared of the cost of bringing people into his family. It's actually our God is much more like Boaz, who was willing and able to redeem. Uh, you might say, uh, kind and strong. And we see that uh, in that passage from Galatians. Uh, God didn't just make a financial purchase to bring us into his family. God sent his son. Uh, God loves us so much that Jesus' life uh, was the price of our redemption. And when we see Jesus on the cross, we see that God is both willing and able to save. Uh, he desires to save us so much that Jesus shed his blood for us. And he is able because that blood was effective to reconcile God and humanity. As Ruth teaches, I think Ruth shows us that a, a helpless, faithless sinner who comes to the God who's given his son and, and says, um, please cover me with your, the corner of your garment. That, that's how we should approach God. That's what a Christian is and that God's able to do that. How about I pray? Our Father, we want to thank you so much that Jesus is strong and kind. He is a redeemer who has the means and the desire to redeem us. Father, we need him. We cannot redeem ourselves. Like Ruth, we are, are stuck helpless, trapped. And Father, we thank you so much that you have given us that kind of Redeemer who has come to us, died on the cross, shed his blood that we might be yours. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.